It's a great day to be alive, isn't it? Great to be alive. Praise God that we're alive today. In order to witness the impossible becoming possible in your life, you and I must take a step of faith. There is a big difference between believing in God and taking a step in faith. Our faith must be put into action. Faith is not waiting for 100% certainty. I want you to just pause there and hit the pause button and think about that statement. Faith is not waiting for 100% certainty before you move. Yes, we're 100% certain in God, but the facts before us and what we see, there must be this moment where we believe that God can because of who he is, and it's possible he can do anything, but faith says, even though I don't see it all unfolding, I'm not sure how it all will work out, I will step out in faith even though I'm not 100% certain with the facts that I have that it will unpack in my life. However, God has already proven himself over and over again, but do we believe what we've heard and seen? Like, have, have we been given enough information that God can do the impossible even when it can appear with our eyes that There's not enough information that this could take place physically. I sometimes grieve, and I do, I grieve. When I see people of God that have known Him for years default to fear and inaction when a hardship, a trial, a difficulty, or circumstance comes their way where they just retreat to neutral instead of walking in faith with God. I also think it grieves the heart of God when we default to fear. You and I will never become the man, the woman of God he made us to be if we continue to repeat kindergarten. And if you were here last week, hopefully you were. The opening video was this grown man doing kindergarten over and over and over and over again because it was safe to stay there. We need reminded from time to time that it's possible. Many years ago, a movie came out that's been one of my favorites, and I, I like to go back and watch it because there's so many truths in this movie of how David can overcome Goliath. It's the movie Hoosiers. And there is a scene in this movie in Hoosiers where the team from Hickory, the Huskers, are now in the state championship game, and they go to Butler Arena, and they're about to walk into this place that's huge compared to their home court. And the coach that's there, who is Gene Hackman, wants to remind the team that while it looks big, and while it appears to be more than what you've ever faced before, there are still some things that are very true about what you are facing. Watch this. Hi, Coach Dale, Coach Butcher, welcome to Butler Fieldhouse. Uh, your practice schedule is from 10 to 12. The game will be at uh, 7 o'clock. If you need anything, why just let me know. Kind of off the record, I think this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to Indiana basketball. So we're all behind you. Good luck and pair them up. Thank you. Good luck, guys.
Buddy? Hold this under the back door. What is it? 15 feet. 15 feet. Strap, put Ollie on your shoulders. Measure this uh, from the rim. Buddy? How far? Ten feet. Ten feet. I think you'll find us exact same measurements as our gym back in Hickory. <laughs> okay, let's get dressed for practice. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like you moved from routine, that something that you're familiar with, something that seemed possible, and then you move to this new arena in life, and you've been handing this seemingly difficult situation, and maybe impossible situation, and that this Goliath in front of you is too big, yet it's in those kind of times that we need to talk to ourselves and remind ourselves of this truth. We have the same God. We're still in the same game, but it's just a different place. Same God, same game, different place. And when we realize that, we can then, with our belief in a God who can do the impossible, Step out in faith and believe that if he did it here in Old Hickory, he can do it here in Butler Field House for us. There's a story that we're familiar with and we're repeating some of these stories that we need to go back to revisit because maybe some of us haven't gleaned the truths from them. And maybe you heard it as a child, but here you are again and you're at the same place you were maybe 10 or 20 years ago and nothing has changed in your walk with God but maybe this is the year. Grab your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. And while you're turning there, Hebrews chapter 1130 says this, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the armies of the Lord marched around them for seven days. So they believed it was possible, but it was because of their faith that the walls fell. Would you stand with me here in the auditoriums and those of you who are tuning in online, would you stand with me as we read God's word, Joshua chapter 6 and verses 1 through 5. Would you read this with me? Joshua 6, 1 to 5, ready, read. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with this king and its fighting men. 
March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets or ram's horns in the front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in, and we'll read six. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of them. You may have a seat. Jericho was a huge city. It was inhabited by a group of people called the Canaanites. And if you and I were living during this time, they could be much like we would understand who ISIS was. They were brutal people. They were known for their evil acts upon even God's people. Yet as we open up this text here, we see that they are tightly shut in. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says that they had secured their fortress and their walls. And why is that? Because they had heard about God and what he had done. If you were to go back to chapter 2 when Rahab was talking to the spies that came in, she reminded them, she said that the people inside the walls are melting with fear because of what your God had done to the people that stood against him. And we, they were melting with fear because they knew that their God helped them cross the Red Sea and had helped them overcome Sig and I, the, the, two, the two kings that were giants. And so literally, they're in a position of fear. They have bombarded or guarded up their entire city. These walls that were in front of them were huge. In fact, let me just show you some diagrams of the walls of Jericho. We could have the first slide up. Actually, the walls themselves were two tiers. The outside wall, and then there was a, a level place. And the truth is, there would have been houses that would have been upon these walls. The interior wall was 46 feet from ground level. So as you can see, if you were a soldier standing down at the bottom, you had an exterior wall and an interior wall. And the text says that they were completely shut in. It would be very difficult to get into the city and to overcome this enemy. Let me show you the next slide that comes up here. In slide number two, you can see from an artist's drawing that there were houses that were also built on the inside tier between the outside wall and the inside wall. Rahab's house would have been built on that inside wall. And as you can see from this drawing, they had Joshua's men marching around. The walls would have crumbled out instead of in. And the reason they, cr they believe they crumbled out is because once they've done some archaeology work there, they notice. And that would have been beneficial to the Israelites because they would have stepped up over on the bricks to climb their way up into the city that was elevated. There is an artist's rendition of ancient Jericho. Check out the next slide. This is what the city would have looked like. It was built up. And it was above the rest of the terrain that was there. So you have a lower wall. You would have had a ditch. You would have had a, another wall. And then you would have had a rampart that led up. And so Rahab's house was on the inside. These are the walls that came crumbling down. And when I say walls, all the walls came crumbling down in this story. Now how could that be possible? 
The only way it's possible if the Israelites or Joshua believed that it could happen. Process a second with me this thought. Belief is the first step of faith. You must believe in something or someone in order for you then to have the faith to place it into action. If you go to a doctor, and I go to a doctor, my doctor is Dr. Boyce, and I'm grateful for him. I go to him because I believe that he can help me when I go. If you don't believe that your doctor can help you, then what do you do? You go somewhere else. When you believe in someone, you go to them for help. When you get on an elevator, you believe it will work, or what do you do? You take the stairs. There is a step of belief that says, I believe, but it is followed up with an action. And that action is faith. You must believe first, and then the action that not only do I believe, you step out in faith and take the action towards the difficulty, towards the challenge, towards what you believe already. Belief is a conviction that certain things are true. And in our case, our belief is that God can do the impossible. We could sing that song, Anything is Possible, that, that Wes just led us in and Jeremy just led us in in the South Auditorium. We could sing that until we're blue in the face and never step into faith in action. You could say that you believe that God can do anything, but your belief really isn't truly manifested until you put it in to action. Yet faith requires more than belief alone. That's where many Christians live the majority of their weeks. Many people think faith is nothing more than belief. No, it isn't. Faith is believing and acting. You and I sing songs, and we'll sing a song today that goes something like this. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God, the three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. And you and I could sing that until we're blue in our face. But if that belief is never put into action, then you're just... You're just in neutral. You're not really believing that God can do it. But we can't stop with belief if we want to see God do the impossible. Faith is belief and unbelief acting on the belief part. And I'm going to explain that. Faith is belief and unbelief Acting on the belief part. People that believe that faith is 100% certainty are often paralyzed. And what do I mean by that? They are waiting for something that will never happen because there's always some uncertainty mixed in the faith process. Otherwise, it wouldn't require faith. It's Belief and unbelief. It's looking at, I've read, I prayed, I talked to mentors, and I, I, I called my parents, and, and I talked to my friend, and I've seen someone else walk through this, and, 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 and this is what must happen, or this is what could happen if I do more than believe. I step out in faith, even though I'm wavering a little bit, because 
Not everything is there. Faith is something that you don't fully see until you step on the other side of yes. And some of you will spend the majority of your lives on the wrong side of yes. Can I say this? This is a phrase that God gave me years ago. There's only some things God can teach you on the other side of yes. And when you get on the other side of yes, you begin to see the God of the impossible. Where do you spend the majority of your time? Even in this story, in verse 2, it says this in chapter 6. Look what it says. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have what Jericho delivered. Now, Joshua had a choice to make. He had a choice to believe because this is past tense. In other words, God says, the Lord said, it's a done deal. You have been delivered, not just will be delivered. You have been, past tense. In other words, it's there for the taking. Joshua had a choice to make. Do I believe that? Faith is, okay, <laughs> woo, here we go. And then receiving that impossible thing that he believed his God could do. I wonder how many done deals are out there by God that we have passed on. That he has already done it. He's already promised it. He's already delivered it. We believe, God, that you can. Yet, we haven't taken that step of faith that we could look really stupid by taking. And then when we take it, we see that done deal and it's handed to us. In fact, back up to chapter 5 and verse 13, just prior to them going and attacking Jericho. It says in verse 13 of chapter 5, it says... Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Can I pause because it's important here to look at the Hebrew for a second. If I was to read this in the Hebrew, it would read this way. Verse 15, 13. It would say, now when Joshua was at Jericho commentators and, and students of Hebrew would say that not only was he at Jericho, he was standing at the wall and looking up. And you say, what was he doing there? Well, he was probably like most of us. Have you ever had those restless nights when you have this big step of faith to take the next day and you're, this business venture, this, this family encounter, this, this belief that God can do something, and the, the, this task, this, 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 this game. The, and, and, and so what do you do? You toss and you turn. You can't sleep. I believe Joshua was tossing and turning because he had unbelief and belief. He heard from God, and he knew that God said it was done, but there was this restlessness in his heart, so he just needed to go there and stand and take a look at the wall. And as he's standing there looking at the wall, what does he see? He sees this man with a sword in his hand. He meets him at the wall. And look what happens next. It says in verse 14. He asks him, are you for us or for our enemies? This man with a sword drawn said, neither or no. He replied, 
but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for this servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. These verses are power-packed full of rich theology. In the Old Testament in the Hebrew, whenever the angel of the Lord appeared, they called it a Christophany, Christophany, an appearance of Christ. And so as Joshua was restless and he, was, he couldn't sleep and he was bouncing back between a little unbelief and belief and he, was, he needed to go to the wall, when he went to the wall, it says that Jesus, the same Jesus that came to earth before he came to Bethlehem was standing at the wall with a sword drawn and it says immediately that Joshua fell to the ground and worshipped him. God met him on this side of the impossible walls. Joshua had already heard from the Lord too. Look at back in chapter 1 and verse 3. I mean, sometimes we need to go back and remind ourselves what we know is true. His belief in God had already been building. Look at chapter 1 and verse 3. This is when Joshua was installed as a leader. It says in verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. I love that because he said, hey, it's a done deal, Jericho. All you have to do is set your foot there. And if you trust me and do more than believe and step out in action, and if you put your feet on the land of Jericho on the other side of the walls, I have already promised you victory. He needed to act upon his belief. If he didn't act upon his belief, he would never experience the miracle, the impossible being unfolded in his life. The gates of Jericho were securely barred, verse 1 of chapter 6 says. No one went out and no one came in. However, many followers of Christ think that faith is staying in the belief column until you get certainty. That's not living by faith. Hear me out. That's stalling in belief. That's not living by faith. That's stalling in belief. How many of you are in neutral, stalling right now, waiting for things to change and waiting for God to come through. How many of you believe in God the Father? How many of you believe that he's the God of the impossible? How many of you believe that anything is possible, but you're stalling in belief and not moving your feet in faith and action? We have a written record of the promises of God all through the Bible. Many people have the Bible in their heads and their pockets, but we need to get them in our hearts. Yesterday at Dudes and Doctrine, we looked at Christology and tons of men came and we studied Christ and, and we asked some hard things and we dug deeper. And, and I said this to the men that were there yesterday. I said that we can believe Every word that the Bible teaches us because it's inerrant and infallible. There's 66 books, 39 in the old and 27 in the new. 
I said, but the truth is this. Many of you have read the stories over and over about Jesus, and many of you have read the stories over and over about God, and you have even, you, you have taught your kids the battle of Jericho. You're familiar with it. But what has happened is the Bible has just become so familiar to you, it's nothing more than an app on your phone. And so when you open up your smartphone, you just press the app you version or the Bible. It has no credence or value or importance over any other app. In fact, some of you are spending more time on other apps than you are. And the word of God that is full of truth, that is full of inerrant words from God above. And when we take it from our heads, out of our pockets, into our hearts, we take steps of faith and we see God do the impossible. So what are some things that the Bible reminds us of that we believe? We believe God will supply all our needs in Christ Jesus. And we will even say, yeah, let's cash some checks. We believe. We believe that God can do immeasurably more, exceedingly, abundantly, all that we ask or imagine. Oh, I believe. We believe that in everything we can give thanks, even in hardship and victory. Oh, I believe that's possible. We believe that we should consider it pure joy when we face trials, but do we? We believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We believe that God works all things out for good to those who are called by him and for his purpose. We believe that we don't have to grieve like those without hope when someone dies, but do we grieve as though we have hope when someone dies? Paul was trying to encourage young Timothy, an up-and-coming preacher, pastor. So he wrote two books in the New Testament, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. He was trying to prepare him as a preacher, a pastor to shepherd people, and he said this to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.3. He said, suffer hardship, Tim, with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Then he said in verse Chapter 4 and verse 5 to young Tim. Endure hardship in ministry. I'll never forget the early days of some of the training that I received for becoming a pastor in, in Grace Seminary. And I had my mentor, Roger Pugh, sit with me. And I would meet with him weekly. And he taught me so much about prayer. I'm grateful for Roger. And he said this, Jim. He said, let me tell you something, Jim. He said, when you suffer... In ministry, you can't coast into neutral. You still have to serve people. He said, when hardship comes your way, it doesn't give you permission to not serve and lead people. He said, because it's in our hardship and our difficulties that we're weak that God is strong. He said, there's never a time in ministry that you can ever just sit and wallow in self-pity, and wallow in how hard it is, because people will need you to serve them. (laughs) And then he said this. He said, if you need an example, just look at Jesus Christ. And so we went back to Jesus Christ on the cross, and he asked me this question. He said, do you think Jesus endured all on the cross? I said, absolutely. 
In fact, he, think about it. He suffered death. He took the sins of the world. He was miserable. He was spit upon. He, had, he, he was jabbed with the sword. He had, he had nails in his hands, and he's on the cross. He, I mean, he, at any point, he could have a pity party. Couldn't have Jesus had a pity party? Like, look at my pain. And, well, how bad is it, Jesus? Well, I got everybody's on me. Well, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> but what did he do? On the cross... In the armpit of suffering, Jesus was witnessing to the guy beside him. He led someone to Christ on the cross. What else did he do? While he was suffering, he was in mission and on mission. He looked down and he looked at his mom and he told the disciple, hey, take care of my mom, okay? While he was suffering, he was serving. So how do you do that? Well, you do it because you believe Scripture that says to consider it pure joy when you face trials of all kinds. You do that because you believe that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you in the middle of dying for the world. You do that because you believe that God will supply all your needs in the hardest time of your life because God is able to. You do that because we don't grieve with those as those who don't have hope. We have hope that we have life beyond the grave. The point is this. In your suffering, in your hardship, you can still serve God. By the way, these Israelites were fully aware that not only when they would go in to attack the Canaanites, that they would be a, 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 an arduous battle, but they had already had relatives who had experienced some cruel things that happened to them. So where do we go with this? Here's where we go. Faith is acting on what you believe to be true about your God. The list is long. What do you believe about your God? We live, however, as though he isn't coming back. We live as though our home isn't in heaven. We live as though he can't comfort us. We live as though he can't work all things out for good to those that love him. We live as though he can't do the impossible. We live as though he can't protect us. We live as though he won't supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. We live as though he isn't fully in control of our world. We live as though the heart of the king isn't in the hand of the God. And the world looks at us at times of troubles and says, why would I want what you have if you don't respond any differently than I do? Uh, let me pull away. This isn't easy, by the way. It's not like we say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for this suffering. No, it's hard. But you want an example? Go to Christ. At some point, we must move from belief to action. Then and only then is our faith real. I keep this photo in my office. It's probably the dearest photo that I have outside of me and my wife and me and our kids. It's, it's a picture of me and my mom walking together. And it was a visit about seven years ago. My mom loves to walk. And as we walked, we talked about life and ministry and talked about family I asked her how I could pray. I'll never forget the last walk I had with her, and she was borderline Alzheimer's then. And, but man, I cherished that 
this moment. My wife Anne was along. I didn't know. She took this photo and gave it to me as a gift. But I go to this photo because it's the faith of our parents. It's the faith of those who mentor us. It's the faith of those that are around us that's often passed down to us. And the world is looking for someone to stand in the middle of hardship and say, not only do I believe that God can do the impossible, I'm taking some steps to give him a chance to do it. And you've heard me say this, but as I was thinking about this message again this week, I go back to that mantra in our 1968 and our 72 Ford Country Squire station wagons. Back when the seat belts, your dad would go like this and when he hit the brake, you know, so they, and somehow... Our generation survived. But my mom taught us a mantra, and it's worth repeating. It's good for this message. You know what? It's good for my heart. Because we need to go back and remember things. And she would say, and she taught us, and my mom was 5'1", and soaking wet, she weighed 98 pounds. And she would say this, rain, hail, lightning, thunder. The Browns and the Andersons will never go under. Never Never, never. You see, she understood something that it was uncommon for me to have a different name than she and my stepfather 54 years ago. And we would scream that in the car. I didn't even know what I was saying, to be quite honest. And we got so good at it, and she'd go, ready, kids? And we read But what she was doing was depositing faith into our hearts, taking it from our pockets and our heads into our hearts and saying that there is nothing with our God that you can't accomplish in life. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Think about that statement for a second. I did this week. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please God with belief alone. There must be faith. At some point, we must move from belief to action, and then and only then will our faith become real. I mean, think about this plan for a second. Look at verse 7. So Joshua gives this plan. These were warriors. These were mighty men. In verse 7, it says this. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city. Verse 7, with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. In verse 8, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. Now just picture those photos that I showed you. They're looking up at 46 feet up in the air on that interior wall. It says in verse 10, But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. 
Now imagine, it says they went back to camp. Can you imagine the conversation after the first night? These were warriors, by the way. These weren't wimps. They understood hand-to-hand combat. They had sharpened their weapons. They knew what it, what it meant, and they had experienced battles where some of their, their brothers lost their lives defending the cause for God, who they served. And the mission they have now is to walk around the city. These were warriors. These were manly, mighty men of God. Can you imagine the conversation when they come back to home? Because their wives knew it. And so they crawl into bed at night in the tent. And she looks over and she says, hey, baby, how'd the battle go today? Well, we, um, we walked around the city. It was kind of like a vision, vision march. <laughs> That's it? Aren't you, aren't you in a battle? Yeah, we, we, we kind of, okay, well, let me pray for you. I hope you see what you're supposed to do. So he comes home the second day. Baby, what was it like today? Well, we kind of marched around the city again. And, and they taught us to be quiet. You didn't say anything? Nope, didn't say a word. Night after night after night, the sixth night, she comes home, he comes home and says, hey, baby, did, did, did you finally do something? Yeah, we marched around the city. <laughs> You mean, yeah, we kind of like took, I took my gun for a, for a walk. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'll guarantee you this, that every soldier that was in that army wanted to scale that wall. And every soldier in that army could have scaled that wall. And every soldier in that army wanted to scale that wall because after five or six days, they began to hear taunts from inside, said, that's all you got? <laughs> hey, turn up the music. In fact... You keep praying, playing the Chris Tomlin music. Anything else? <laughs> it was their belief in God that put their faith in action that they were willing to look really stupid in order for them to see God do the impossible. The battle isn't what's before us. It's what's in us. God always honors obedience. 1 Samuel 2.30 says, I will honor those that honor me. I will despise those that think light of me. Hudson Taylor found in my readings this week, in fact, John Creekmore. Creekmore, you're on the wrong side of the church today. Let me just tell you, man, you're supposed to be over here. (laughs) Hudson Taylor said this many years ago, missionary to China. He said, there are three stages in most great tasks undertaken by God. Impossible, difficult, done. Impossible, difficult, done. And sometimes I would say they sound really strange. This was a strange battle plan. But when you take a step of faith towards that impossible thing, it won't be easy as you think. And the fact that you are doing it for the Lord seems often to make no difference at all. And maybe for one or two or three or four or five or six days, nothing's changing, but you're still walking in faith and waiting. And when you search scripture and you seek out counsel and you read a few books and nothing's changing, Often things move slower than you hope for. And before you know it, doubt takes dead aim at your faith. It's in those moments that you must put your belief 
into action. 25 years ago, on Clinton Street, I gave a vision message that I believe was from God. My wife and I prayed about it, and I remember talking to her about the sermon. It was my first year ministry at Grace. And we were on Clinton Street, and I had these five things that I believed that God could do and wanted to do through the ministry of Grace Community Church. Now, keep in mind, when our family went to Grace 25 years ago, there were 64 people in the building, and our two older children doubled the children's ministry. There were only two kids in the church. And I remember standing there, 34 years old, giving this passionate vision message. I mean, I spit on people four rows deep. I was just, it it was coming out. It was coming everywhere. And I was so excited, and I got to the end of that message. I kid you not, I was just ready for people to say, Preach it, white boy. That's how I was feeling inside. Like, I felt like I had a word from the Lord, and I'm going to declare it, and I believed it. I was sweaty. I had a suit and tie, double-breasted suit on. Can you imagine how I used to sweat through those? And uh, I was a sorry-looking, sweaty mess at the time. But I believed that. After the service, a man walked down the aisle and came up to me and had a look on his face, and the pride in me thought, he's going to say, that a boy. <laughs> so I stood, you know, like, come on, tell me, feed me, feed me. And he came up, and he reached out his hand, and he said this. He said, Pastor Brown, that'll never happen here. But that's it. Honestly, that was it. Like, that was it. The seed of doubt had dead aim on my heart. And I remember thinking this thought, but you don't know my God. Praise God for a thing called a filter, you know. And and I just said, I believe he can. He said, no, 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 no. Listen to me, Pastor Brown. He said, you don't know these people. And back in my mind, I was thinking, You don't know my God. (laughs) But he was sincere. Because for a big part of his life, he hadn't seen God do that. I could have allowed that seed of doubt, that disappointment in my life, that could have destroyed me. But I knew that God had more for this community. And I believed, and by God's grace, there are people who are seated here today, the cheeks who were with me then, (laughs) and they took a chance on me. And there were a group of people that believe, and by God's grace, I didn't let, nor should you let, that seed of doubt that wants to tear your heart apart keep you from not only believing, but stepping out in faith and watching God do the impossible. When you walk in faith, your belief is put into action. Unfortunately, most of us look at the wall of impossibility and throw in the towel. The battle of Jericho would come back to them believing what God had promised them already. Were they willing to risk public humiliation if the walls didn't come down? This is where most bail out. We have a fear of looking stupid. That's where faith lives, isn't it? Like, 
I'm telling you what, there are times, I'm just being wrong, like, like we don't have a beat plan B here, God. <laughs> I could look really stupid. I'm trusting you again. And you know what? When we trust him again and believe that he can and we plan and move into action, he loves operating on the other side of yes because he gets all the credit. And even if I look stupid and God, you don't come through, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will still follow you. You see, the wall is impossible without God, but God loves to start with the impossible. I actually think the bigger miracle was even as big was verse 23. It says this, so the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her, they brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. I believe that it might be the biggest miracle. Like all the walls came tumbling down, yet Rahab's house stood intact. No faith is required to do the impossible Actually, only a morsel of this atom-powered stuff is needed to do the impossible. For a, large, for a piece large as a mustard seed will do more than we have ever dreamed of. By faith, the walls came crumbling down. Hebrews 11.30 says, But where do we get this kind of faith? Where do you get that kind of faith? The author of Hebrews would later say in Hebrews 12 too, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, that's where we get the courage to step out in faith when we put our eyes on Jesus and don't let the fear and the seed of doubt that's aimed right at our hearts defeat us and where we move from belief to action. Courage is the ability to keep going even when you can't see anything happening right now in your life. Endurance is what courage looks like after the long haul. Endurance is courage repeated day after day. What derails us most in our faith is our lack of courage. So there has to be these deposits of courage where we step out in courage and we can look stupid. We believe we step out courageously. It's continually stepping out. It's continually moving. It's continuing making belief into action. And finally, you build what is called endurance. It's the enduring saints that stand in the midst of the fiery furnace because they have taken courageous steps already. That's how you build endurance. I watch it happen often with men who are part of Fight Club. They'll come for 10 weeks and they'll, 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 they'll be disciplining God's word. And our hope is that these disciplines apply for the rest of their lives or, the, or, or physically. They'll do the things for 10 weeks and then they take off between the 10 weeks and they come back 10 weeks later and they say, I gotta get started again. No, that's not endurance. Listen to me, that's stupidity. Endurance is courage over and over again. Think back to when the 12 spies were sent into the land to give a report. Ten came back and said, they are too big, we should never attack them. Two came back and said in Numbers 1330, 
we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Let me ask you a question for those of you who are familiar with that account. Can you tell me the names of the two who came back and said we can do it? What were their names? Okay, we know those. Caleb and Joshua. Can you name one of the ten that said we shouldn't? Why? Because they're a bunch of cowards. God has so ordered the moral universe that he responds to our faith when it's actually put into action. Belief will leave you short of seeing God do the impossible. Faith is not waiting for 100% certainty. Faith is wavering between belief and unbelief, doubt and assurance, hope and despair, and finally, hesitantly, with your heart in your hands, acting on the belief part and stepping out in faith. That's where you see God do the impossible. You know what happened to Joshua after this? Look at chapter 6 and verse 27. It says, So the Lord, what's it say? Was what? With. Come on. Was with who? Joshua. And his what? What's it say? Fame spread throughout the what? And why is that? Because he trusted in his God. You see, we're about to sing a song that says, let our faith be more than anthems, greater than the songs we sing. And in our weakness and temptations, we believe. We believe. But belief must be moved into action in order to see God do the impossible. And this could be the year When you leave today, and maybe you grabbed them on the way in, there is a bracelet for you that has, it's possible. And on the inside is our tagline, a people of the possible God. My prayer is this, that every time you put it on, you remind yourselves that with God, we can do the impossible. Oh God, help us. We're about to sing a song that's beautiful, powerful. We believe. But I pray that we would move from belief to action. And may our faith be put into motion so that we can watch you do the impossible even this year. God, we love you. You're a good God. We're grateful that you're patient with us. We're grateful that you don't give up on us. We're grateful for second, third, fifth chances. And we're grateful that we have this year ahead of us. May this be the year that we see breakthrough like we have never experienced because when fear has its arrows aimed at our hearts, may we remind ourselves that our God can do anything. In Jesus' name, amen.